welcome to Truck Stop Murder and Truck Home Podcast. I am Gary Howard, and you're listening to a podcast about me, a truck driver for Prima Express out of Joliet, Illinois, that drives all 48 states of the continental United States, and I, I have to stop at truck stops during this time. So during for a 10-hour break, daily 10-hour break. And during this, I talk about the truck stops I stop at, the what's around it, reviews, food, and whatnot, and a murder that I might find around that. So, if you're not a truck driver, don't care for murder, sorry for, but thank you for checking it out, but this might not be for you. But anyhow, as always, please, if you do like this show, please go to any any podcast platform you listen to, rate and review, and try to help me build this up. Mainly Apple, iTunes for some reason. I guess that's the platform a lot of people look at to kind of build this like sponsors and whatnot. And try to build something. Alright then. Well, with further ado. Well, this episode brings me to Bald Knob, Arkansas. It's a truck stop along. Where is this? A US-167. It's on by exit 55. So, the address is 142 U.S. 167, North Bald Knob, Arkansas. It's right by Searcy on your way to Little Rock. And exit 55 off Highway 67. So, a lot of people like this place. This is not really... Not many negative reviews about this. Uh, the whole place itself has a 4.5 review out of 117 reviews. And as of right now, my time, well, their time too, 11.14 since they're both, uh, we're both on central standard, you know, central time. There's lots of space. Now, the parking lot on Trucker's Path where I'm getting all this information from says it's 40 spots. But I bet you could get more. I think those are just the marked ones. But there's a lot of areas where you can find parking, and they're really not anal about all that. And 40 spots, and I told you address. I ain't going to go into the longitude and latitude. But if you're driving through or a truck driver is staying for the night, it has its own little restaurant inside. With like a little buffet, little field express. has a bunch of food there, chicken, basic truck stop food, farmhouse cafe right there. And they both, well, the, it has a, like a 3.5 for the farmhouse and a 4.0 for the, that's Chinese food, cafe food. And then right next door to it, there's a Sonic drive through if you want some burgers, 3.3 star rating. Pop's Place has a 5 star, it's just an antiques, but they have it under restaurants for some reason. McDonald's within a half a mile fast food one. They're not happy with that place. Bulldog Restaurant, American Traditional, four point four star review, and that's about what's. There's another where Southern Made, a breakfast and brunch place, but that's a little over the half mile mark. Also, if you're not, if there's also a store if you want to park, and there's a Dollar General right across the street, so you have some options if you have your own stuff. You could buy some food from there. Cook it in your own truck if you not to, want to, or if in your car, you need some supplies, there you go. Or if you're a truck driver, you need some supplies. Reviews. Let's see what people think of this place. Overall, food is a 4.8. Parking, 4.3. Showers, a 5-star. Service, a 5-star. So, 
Like I said, most people enjoy this place. Five star reviews. Unless I say something, well, I'll just go ahead. Five star review. The inside and outside are both really clean. That's really surprising for a truck stop, especially off-brand. Normally, Pilots and Loves, they try to keep their pretty clean. Not all, but majority of them are. But these off-wall truck stops are is a give and take, give and miss. You never know. And another place, nice place. Decent amount of parking with nice wide spots. Yep. And not a bad place to could use a little TLC. Now, this guy's not more... But most likely we end up a dive like most in the south. Sloma. Three star review. Two DOT cops. That's another couple negative reviews. Two DOT cops in with yeah, trucks in the middle of the lot. I guess they're random inspecting people. Five star, five star, lot, five stars. Let's look for here's a one star review. Just pulled in here to Something break. I guess he used voice, and I guess he cussed a pussy break. I guess take a piss break, <laughs> not pussy break, piss break. And DOT is posting a front and entrance, and then he went on to ramble about how we truck drivers should stick together and stand up against a man and shut down the country. And I'm not gonna bore you with all that. More five stars. More five stars. Yeah, nice. And a lot of people think this is not not too bad. But here's a two star review. So it's not sure what the hubbub is about. I've gotten better service out of the chain truck stops. Lady at the counter stood idly by while I researched, where I reached for a bag to bag my own purchases. Did he even offer a seat? Hot buffet, lousy, dry biscuits, strange half, strange half circle eggs, and on and on, just bitching. In another place, nice little place, had Chester's for dinner. The chicken was good. The wedges was meh. Not a fan of the wedges. I like wedges. The coleslaw was like they put it in a coffee grinder. Not good. Mush. Well, there you go. The rest of them is just one more one. No water for showers, coffee, or fountain drinks. Well, they can't help. Sometimes you just have issues. There's no reason to give it a, a one-star review for that. For just about have been that one day that he showed up. That the water was out. So let's give them a one star review. Screw you. But my experience has always been good there. The people there have been friendly. And the food ain't too bad. I normally just go to so the Sonic. It's a little bit cheaper. But there you go. Ball Knob Travel Center. And Ball Knob Arkansas. And now on to the case. The murder. And this is a crazy case because once you think it's over with it's not it's one of them cases that constantly going on there's all kinds of aspects in this thing which i will get into but first of all let's talk about i know i said ball knob arkansas but this case actually has connections with florida and arkansas so it's both cases so both states so on the first let's on May 2nd, 1983, Regina Harris, a 20-year-old college student studying at Palm Beach Atlantic University in West Palm Beach, left her parents' home for a nightly bike ride in Hollywood's North Beach neighborhood, but failed to return home. Panicked, her friends and family went out and searched for her, with, party, with the party eventually finding her new body in the woods in Westlake Park. She had been strangled to death and her body discarded at the scene. During the subsequent 
subsequent investigation, witness, witnesses reported that they had seen the woman riding along a popular path in Hollywood Beach, accompanied by a skinny, long-haired man on a black bike. Eventually, there were no leads on the case for five months until a detective from Fort Lauderdale, John Crucio, saw a program airing in the, in the case on TV shortly before that. He had been a member of the investigation of investigative unit which had captured Ronald Harold Stewart, a serial rapist who had terrorized women in Broward County and Harrison County, Mississippi during the late 1980s, and Tuck noticed that Stewart resembled the suspect sketch in addition to being in possession of a black bike at the time of his arrest. Later during a photo lineup, one of the witnesses who had seen Regina and her alleged killer on the beach pointed to Reynolds as man she had who had seen who had seen he was soon charged with Harrison's murder in order to avoid likely possibility of the death penalty Stewart entered a plea of no contest and was given 50 years imprisonment in January 1985 concurrent with his other sentences for the sexual offense although several factors pointed towards his innocence in the case, including the fact that his fingerprints should not match those found on the crime scene, Stewart nonetheless confessed to the crime, even while jailed in Mississippi. Convinced that he was the true couplet, couple, culprit, <laughs> the conviction went undisputed, and Stewart would later die behind bars of cancer in 2007 so another person actually that wasn't the only person who actually saw him and thought that he might have did it so it was the black bicycle that started William Grime thinking he might know who murdered Regina Harris he was sitting at home watching the weekly Crime Stopper segments on Channel 7 Evening News the weekly feature reenacts unsolved crimes and urges viewers with knowledge of the case to call in re for rewards rewards are offered for information leading to arrest and prosecution that evening the subject was the murder of Regina Harris a cherry 20 year old born again Christian with hazel eyes and a sweet smile Harrison had left her Deanna home for a bicycle ride shortly before 6 p.m. on May 2nd 1983 a witness saw her a half hour later riding along the boardwalk on Hollywood Beach alongside a skinny, long-haired man riding a black, knobby-wheeled bicycle. There's that bicycle again. That'll keep coming up in both situations. Was, that's what really connected them was the bike. So the two were chatting casually as they rode. Regina Harris never returned home on May 3rd. Her, of course, her naked body was found in underbushes in West Lake Park in Hollywood. Her clothing had been neatly folded besides her bike, beside her bike. Near, nearby, she had been raped and strangled. As Grimm watched the short reenaction, he began to consider that he may know the killer rather well. It was the first he's heard of Harrison's murder, but some things about it, something about it, hauntingly familiar to Grimm. In his detective, as, is he a detective for the Fort Lauderdale Police Department? He was a, let me start that again, because that didn't make no sense. He was a detective with the Fort Lauderdale Police Department. A month earlier, he had convicted a man accused of nine rapes in Fort Lauderdale's Victoria Park neighborhood, riding 
black bike. The nine rapes of Fort Lauderdale, Victoria's Park neighborhood, riding black bike. The suspect, a skinny 23-year-old transient named Ronald Harold Stewart, had strangled. Let me see. Had strangled anyone, any of his Fort Lauderdale victims. But when he was arrested, after a month-long manhunt, he was riding the black knobby wheel bike. There it is. There was more. There was more. Stewart had confessed to denying Fort Lauderdale murders, but when Grimm asked him whether he was about, was he, uh, let me start again, it's going to be one of them episodes, I guess, <laughs> was about his work, often he would st he steal, he asked him about his work, he often steal a wallet from one of the house and leave it empty in another house, he would burglarize it, take months for Gulfport police to catch Stewart, when they did. He confessed to 153 burglaries in 1978. He was sentenced to nine years in Mississippi Parchment State pr Prison. Several year, months later, he was released on parole, but he returned to prison when he was caught committing another burglary. Stewart was released from prison in January of 1982. He returned to Gulfport and moved in with his mother for three months. Then was in Fort Lauderdale until July 1982 when he returned to Gulfport again. The rape started. So there only happened while he was there. So August 27th, there was five of them all on the west, on the east side of town, all in less than a month. Three times someone broke into women's house, threatened them, sometimes with a knife, and raped them. A, and two other rapes were somewhat different style. One woman was grabbed as she climbed into a car. She was dragged in the woods and raped. Another was attacked as she walked behind an amusement park. Police suspected that they were a singular madman and dubbed him the East Side Rapist. We poured police into the area. Bridges says we had decoys, we had bicycle teams, and had surveillance. This went on for over six weeks. The last of the Gulfport rapes was September 26. S several weeks passed without another rape, and police su summarized that the rapists had been scared away. They still had no suspects, but at least the violence had ceased. If the police had been watching around Stewart, they would have noticed that he left town just after the rapes ended. He had a girlfriend by then, a woman named Teresa Stillman. They were responsible for sexual assault in the hometown of Lavica, Arkansas, at the Hollywood, Lavica, Ark, at the Hollywood, that seemed similar to the inn, like others in Hollywood, that seemed like others, he committed in Fort Lauderdale. Stewart became irate for some reason. He was. Let me go back to that, the hometown of Lavica. So yeah, I said that right. Committed in Fort Lauderdale. Stewart became irate for some reason. He was very insistent. That he had never been in Hollywood. Graham's recalled he wanted to make that very clear that the more he thought about it, and the, and the more Grimm felt Stewart was the man who killed Regina Willis Harrison. He called Hollywood detectives and told them that he knew the next day Hollywood detective, he, that he knew who it was. The next day, Hollywood detective James Gibbons came to Fort Lauderdale and picked up a picked up a picture of Ronald Stewart, Ronald Stewart photo lineup. He put the picture with four others of men similar in appearance 
Then he took the photo line up to the women who had seen Harrison riding along the Hollywood boardwalk. He asked her if any of the men looked like the one she had seen riding with the, the girl, with Regina, the evening of May 2nd. The woman court documents shows pointed directly to, this was all going on in court, pointed directly to Ronald Stewart's photo. Oh, no, that's not in court. The woman's court documents, that's why I got confused on my notes, show pointed directly at the photo of Ronald Stewart's Hollywood Police the photo. Hollywood Police then focused their investigation on Stewart. They located an acquaintance of him, his, who said Stewart once told him about murdering a girl. The acquaintance recalled Stewart saying he has strangled a girl in or near a park on October 7th, near three months after Grime called this with this tip. Five months after Harrison's death, Hollywood police charged Roundster with first-degree murder. Of course, the rest was served in the jailhouse in Gulfport, Mississippi, where Stewart had been extradited to face five counts of rape. He had already had pleaded guilty to three counts of physical, sexual, I mean sexual battery with a deadly woman, with deadly weapon, deadly woman. He took his girlfriend <laughs> in Fort Lauderdale and was sentenced to 50 years in prison. In return to his plea charges was dropped in six other Fort Lauderdale cases. And I would like to say that's the case. But like I told you at the beginning, this is one of them cases where you think that, oh, it's over. Is that it? Nope. It's more to it. Which brings us to our second two, Lorraine Ann Barrett. She was born on December 28, 1958. Her father, John and Marlene, in McDonald, Pennsylvania. She was a customer representative, service, customer service representative for a telephone company in Bridgeville, Pennsylvania. And was planning on visiting her friend down in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Was only planning on staying for five days. During this visit, Bear planned to visit her best friend, whom she, who, best friend from work, who is on medical disability and staying in her parents' home in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. I was going to have a barbecue at her house, friend's house on Sunday. Barrett and Lacey was close because Lacey had medical problems. Barrett helped her with cooking, ran errands, and spent time with her. We were always together, Lacey said. I was sick a lot, and she was always there for me. We were close, and we talked a lot. We were special to each other. Barrett called Lacey as soon as she arrived in Fort Lauderdale on Friday evening and told her she would where they would meet. Barrett had just checked into room 824 at the Days Inn in, in the Lauderdale Surf Motel, 440 Seabreeze Boulevard in Fort Lauderdale, the night before she would meet her friend. But that night she decided to have a few drinks at the Elbow Room a bar located at the corner of Los Alos Boulevard and A1A State Road. According to Patreon, she was accompanied by a heavily tattooed man whom, after a few drinks, left with her to her motel room at the day's end. At about noon, June 1st, 1991, her body was found by the cleaning lady and left in her room in bed. Immediately following the body's discovery, police created a facial composite complete with descriptions of the suspect's tattoos, barbed wire, and hearts etched with names. 
and disturbed it, disturbed it around, dis distributed it around Broward County. However, it was to no avail, and case quickly went cold. Was Codley was found by cleanly was quickly went coldly was we'll look at yeah, back where that was at but the body was found with signs of being raped and strangled Lorraine Ann about it age 37 was found murdered in her room like I was saying at the hotel Barrett had just checked into the motel the night before and was in town for several days of the vacation from Pennsylvania like I was saying with Previously, forensic detectives processed the room and collected evidence from the room as well from the victim, from her. Homicide detectives began their investigation and found that Barrett had been seen at the elbow room bar at the same night that she had checked into the day's room, days in. So the same night, so she had got there for Lardale, checked in the hotel room, and went to the bar. I, I imagine... I mean, I mean, it takes about three or four hours, but still, the whole ordeal is all-day flight thing. If anybody flew, you know what I'm talking about. Even if the flight's only two hours, it's an all-day process. Poor girl probably needed a drink. Witness recall seeing Barrett with a white male at the bar, and later recalled seeing the victim Barrett with the same white man enter an elevator at the Days Inn. The Broward County Medical Examiner Office ruled the death of a homicide by homicide by asphyxiation. A complete sketch of the suspect, along with description of the suspect's tattoos, was compiled and distributed. However, no arrests were made, and case went cold. In 2002, Detective John Crisillo reopened the cold case and been reviewing investigation, knowing that great advancements with DNA, you know, had advanced with that. So, technology made over the past 11 years. Evidence recovered at the scene. In 1991, was submitted by Detective Crisillo to the Broward County Sheriff's Office and FBI labs to be typed and profiled. The information then was sent to NDIS, a national DNA indexing system, to be posted with a request for individu individual states to search their databases for a possible match. None was found at the time. So Lan Leanne and Bear 32. Like I said, I was only planning on being there for five hours to finish the visit a disabled friend. But have a few drinks after her long fight. And sadly, that was she was just there for five hours. And then she met this unknown person that we do not know who, who he was of yet. But they're looking for him. And they do have his DNA in the database. So that's a start. But all the same, it then went cold. So that is Florida for us. That's everything in Florida so now we're here at Bald Knob Arkansas where the truck stop I was parked at and this is the case so let's talk about Mary Phillips a 30 year old mother of three who worked at a counting office in Bald Knob Arkansas Mary was planning on to take her daughter to a 3 p.m. dance appointment Darla and her 15 year old brother Jesse was expecting their mother and little sister to return to their home in Bradford around 4.30 p.m. or 5 p.m. They never arrived. A black-haired male entered the business before Lacey and her mother could leave for the dentist's office. A man with a teardrop tattoo on his face and more tattoos on his arm 
The Mahad came into the business earlier that day to borrow some books. When he returned, he complained that he had got was given the wrong book. He then told Lacey and Mom that he was sorry, but that he was going to have to rob him. He ordered Mary to lay down on her stomach and then told Lacey, May Lacey lay down on top of her mother. After retrieving the cash out of the register, he tucked them both into a small break room. The man took Lacey into a bathroom off of the off of the break room, tied her to a chair, then left. When he returned, Lacey, now crying, asked the man not to hurt her mother, to which he replied, I'm not. I'm going to hurt you. He began to choke Lacey until she passed out. After Lacey lost consciousness, consciousness, Jones struck her at least eight times in the head with the barrel of a BB gun, causing severe lacerations and multiple skull fractures with bone fragments protruding into Lacey's skull. When Lacey woke, she saw blood and began to vomit. She went back to sleep and woke in later when the police, seeing her bloody body, thinking she was dead, were taking photos of her. Police found Mary's body nude from the waist down. A cord from a nearby Mr. Coffee Pot was wrapped around Mary's neck and a wire was tied around her hands which positioned behind her back. Bruises on her arms and back indicated that she had been strangled with her attacker prior to her death. So while this was going on, keep in mind, like I said, she had prior engagements and people were waiting on her. So when they didn't show up to their appointments, they were supposed to the dentist appointment and her family did not hear from her. They quickly, you know, tried calling her and calling them. Nobody responds. So they had called the police and said that the, about the missing person they were wondering about. It. So the police said, you know, just like a welfare check, went and checked the place, the business, the bookkeeping office where they had worked at, where she was doing business at the time. And that's when they came upon the grisly discovery of Mary and their t and her daughter. So the, at the time, they they thought that her daughter Lacey was dead because of the amount of blood that was on it. They found her, that, but they really did not check Lacey until they realized that she was not dead when she her eyes kind of rolled up in her head. So they quickly raced her to the hospital where that she was able to survive the attack. And from there, they were able to get descriptions of the person where the police knew who he was by descriptions. And she was able to give a very detailed description of this individual, which they went and quickly arrested Jack Harold Jones of this, uh, you know, of this crime where he was brought to the police station where he had quickly confessed. He confessed everything to Mary Phillips crime. Keep in mind. And remember how I described him how with the tattoos and stuff like that? Remember that. So he dis he agreed to a DNA test, you know, a swab and whatnot. And from there, it was submitted to the state. And then, remember Florida? So Detective Crucio from Florida learned when he got put in through Arkansas, learned there was a match. So learned DNA recovered in a 1991 match that an inmate of, well, I'm getting ahead of myself again. My notes, I need to get better at this. I'm learning. I'm already got the butt. He was, when he went to court, he was found 
he confessed and everything, and he was in the found guilty of first degree murder, which I'll get into all the later on, and was on death row. So they did go after the death sentence for him. So Detective Caruso from Florida, remember him, learned that the DNA recovered in a 1991 match that of an inmate on death row in Florida, remember Barrett? The DNA match was tested and confirmed by investigators of the state crime lab in Arkansas. The inmates in the to the DNA and the other than Jack, uh, no other than Jack Harold Jones, our guy, the same asshole on death row for the murder of Mary Phillips, along with the attempted murder of 11-year-old daughter Lacey Phillips. Jones, at the time of the arrest, had multiple tattoos described by the witness in the 1991 murder of Barrett and matched other physical descriptions of the suspect. While awaiting execution at the Arkansas death row, Jones' DNA was entered, like I said, DNA, where several years later, that too was matched to the murder scene of the Barrett case. A second test was conducted to make sure the crime lab in Arkansas which consistently proved that, indeed, Jack Jones was the culprit. The Florida authorities issued an extradition warrant for the killer, who by this time was appealing his death sentence in Arkansas for the third time. He was eventually brought to trial for Barrett's murder, found guilty, sentenced to life imprisonment, and returned to await his execution in Arkansas. Over the years, Jones' execution was stayed several times due to illness, such as high blood pressure and diabetes, which resulted in one of his legs being amputated according to his sister, Lynn. Jack had suffered, well, she stated also that he had also suffered, suffered sexual and physical abuse as a child, which compelled with alcohol and drug dependency made his made him lose control over his impulse. However, Jones himself expressed regret over his actions and agreed agreed with his penalty. He explained that he was haunted by the ghosts of his victims and incapable of forgiving for himself for what he had done to them two women. Over the years, Jones' execution was stayed several times, like I said. Make sure I'm not reading the same note. Yep, I am. Get rid of that. I do apologize again, like I always do. I'm a truck driver working 14 hours, and I do like to tell these stories, especially to my number one fan, Desra. She's really been enjoying these, and hopefully everybody else enjoys these and could battle through my mushmouthness. So, carry on. In Jones' application of ex you know, clemency, he claims significant mitigation circumstances concerning his background of mental illness was not present at his trial. David Freeman, a mitigation investigator from for the Capital Resource Council, filed an affidavit in 2005 that described his findings in the case. Defense presentation at Jones' trial was minimum. Freedom claimed, including the failure of the defense attorneys to fully investigate Jones' social history. The jury... Let's go back to how long it took him to find guilty. The jury, jury took only 30 minutes to return a guilty verdict, and the defense case included only a single witness, a professor of pharmaceutical pharmacology, pharmaceutology, a pharmacist, who only testified that the effect of the brain of methamphetamines abuse 
and gave no information about Jones's drug use just before the murder, Freeman claimed. Defense should have shown strong evidence of a major mental illness with genetic components, according to the affidavit. Also, the defense witness at Jones' trial was a physician whose license had been, listen here, surrendered due to alcohol and drug abuse and who had left Jones' medical chart in the car the morning he testified. So he didn't know what he was talking about. He was probably drunk the day of the trial, Freeman said. So he sounded like this guy's defense was not very good, and it'll come back in a lot of the appeals. Freeman's investigation revealed that Jones had attempted suicide on two occasions and that Jones was an antisocial personality and bipolar disorder. The affidavit claimed six months before the murder, Jones spent six days in a mental hospital. Freeman wrote and had been involuntarily admitted to a psychiatric facility in 1991. So Donald L. Corbin, a justice applicant, you know, for Judge for Jack O. Jack was convinced in the White County Circuit Court of the capital murder and rape of Mary Phillips and the attempted capital murder of Lisey Phillips. Jones was sentenced to the death of lethal for by lethal ejection, life imprisonment, and 30 years. So he is not going there. Even if he don't die, he's still life imprisonment at 30 years. And keep in mind, if this all fails, he's still got Florida waiting for him. He got life imprisonment there. Respectfully for the crimes, the court affirmed the convictions and sentence certification denied. Jones filed a petition of post-conviction relief. The trial court denied the petition on appeals. Jones raised four points for reversal. Three include a submission of various aggravating circumstances and one pertaining to the mission of expert testimony. Our jurisdiction of the appeal is persuaded as we confirm that no. So the facts surrounding these crimes were set out in great detail in the court's previous decision, and we see no need to repeat them from here. So surfaces say that on June 6, 1995, 34-year-old Mary Phillips and her 11-year-old daughter Lacey were at a counting office in Bald Knob where Mary worked as a bookkeeper. Jones entered the business and robbed them at gunpoint. Jones then angrily raped and murdered Mary severely, beat and strangled Lacey, leaving her for dead. Lacey lost consciousness for a period of time. She later woken by police, apparently believing that she was dead. That's a new one. They didn't check her or nothing. They just, because of the amount of blood that was on her, they really thought there's no way anybody could survive that. Was taking photos of her. The police found Mary's body nude from the waist down with a cord from a nearby coffee pot wrapped around her neck. Apparently, she has sustained blood force, head injuries, as well as bruising on her arms or back. Before discussing these points raised on appeal, we know to, that to prevail on a claim of insufficient assistance of counseling, the petitioner must first, let's start again, petitioner must first show that counsel's performance was deficient. This requires a showing that counsel made error so serious that counsel was not functioning as the counsel guaranteed the petitioner by the sixth, not guaranteed by the Sixth Amendment. He must also show that the defense, well, it just says he got to be doing his job. Performance projected by the defense, the, the requires a 
showing that counsel's errors were so serious to as to deprive the petitioner of a fair trial. On appeal, the court indulges in a strong presumption that counsel's conduct falls within the wide range of reasonable professional assistance. ID so we have repeatedly held that we will not reverse the denial of post-conviction relief unless the trial court's findings are clearly erroneous and clearly against the prejudice of the evidence. So he's just trying to say back to, like I said, just insufficient counseling all around. That his his lawyer was not calling different, you know, none of the witnesses no professional people to testify against them just the one and they were not so a capital murder let's talk about capital murder plus he was and further a couple other ones he was talking about how the jury was not stated that they could look outside you know different murder cases just capital murder and that's all they were given so a capital murder is committed as especially cruel matter so as part of a course of conduct intended to inflict mental anguish, serious physical abuse, or torture upon the victims prior to victim's death. Mental anguish, serious physical abuse, or torture is inflicted. Mental anguish is, I think I covered this before in another, one of my past episodes about the difference with the mental anguish or how they can consider this as capital murder, what he does to his victims. So let's talk about mental anguish. Mental anguish is defined as the victim's uncertainty as to his ultimate fate. Serious physical abuse is defined as physical abuse that creates a substantial risk of death or that causes projected impairment of health or loss of projected impairment of the function of any bodily member or organ. Torture is defined as the infliction of extreme physical pain for a prolonged period of time prior to the victim's death, which all these he did. Then back to capital murders committed in a specially deprived manner when the person relishes the murder. Evidence embased or preservation. Here we go. Perversion or shows indifference to the suffering of the victims. Evidence a sense of pleasure in committing the murder. So he enjoyed what he was doing. So that goes all that. And there's a big long list about different things like about that right here. So the court, this court has consistently held that whenever there is evidence of aggravating or mitigating circumstances, however slight, the matter should be submitted to the jury for consideration. In this case, he don't think it was. Once the jury was found that an aggravating circumstance exists between beyond a reasonable doubt, this court may affirm only if the state has presented substantial evidence in support of which each element they're on. To make this determination review the sufficiency of the evidence in the light most favorable to the state to determine whether any radical trayer of fact could have found the existence of the aggravating circumstance beyond a reasonable doubt. So here's the evidence. Show that Jones held Mary and her, I know I keep talking about this because like I said, he claims that he should not have got capital murder. It should have been like a first degree murder where he could have got life in prison. But he's trying to claim that there was no 
aggravating circumstances in this, which clearly was. That's why I was reading the, the mental anguish, the torture, and all that. And severe, serious physical abuse, which that plays all part of the aggravating circumstances. So here's the evidence show that Jones hailed Mary and her 11-year-old daughter, Lacey, at gunpoint and tucked him to a back room. He told them to lie on the floor with Lacey on top of her mother. While they were on the floor, Jones took the money out of the business. Cash register asked if there was any more. Jones tied up Mary with stereo speaker with coffee wire and put her in the closet. Next, he tied Lacey to a chair in the bathroom. Jones left Lacey for some time and then returned to her. He investigated interviewing time is apparently when Jones, while that was going on, he raped and murder Mary. The medical examiner testified that Mary died as a result of a combination of strangulation and blunt force head wounds. He testified that the application of force to the neck was all likelihood relatively prolonged, taking approximately four minutes. Additionally, the evidence indicated that Mary had a number of wounds that appeared defense in nature and consisted with some time, type of struggle taking place. The evidence also indicated that the blunt force injuries to Mary's head likely occurred prior to the time she was strangled due to the amount of blood around the brain and that it was possible that she could have sustained consciousness throughout much of her injuries. For these facts, these substantial evidence that Jones committed the murders in an especially cruel manner as she was bound with the coffee wire. I keep finding notes that say, coffee wire from the Mr. Coffee Maker, but I'm also fine speaker wire, so I'm not really sure which it was, but she was bound with some kind of electric wire. Mary was bludgeoned, ainly raped, and strangled while her young daughter sat bound to a chair in an adjoining room. Clearly, Mary was the victim of serious physical abuse. There was also substantial evidence that Mary suffered mental anguish at the hands of her killer, not only as a victim of the ordeal, but also as the mother of the next likely you know, person of the same fate. A coroner records does not show conclusively that trial counsel performed deficiency in, you know, definitely in failing to object to new submission of the aggravating circumstances in the jury, nor does the record conclusively show that applicant counsel perform deficiently by not pursuing the issue on appeal. Indeed, from this record, it is not apparent that Jones was deprived of any rights, fuck you, which less the fundamental rights of a fa much less the fundamental of a fair trial. So you could take your indeficient counseling and lack of aggravating circumstances and shove it up your ass. We we stay with our well we you know death penalty affirmed guilty as fuck be gone with you. So aggravating circumstances of avoiding and preventing arrest. Here's another one. He said, in short, he said that he for his second point. I'll just read it. For his second point for reversal, Jones argues that both trial and applicant counsel was ineffective for failing to object to the state's use of aggravating circumstances that the Kaplan murder was committed for purpose of avoiding or preventing arrest. Jones again concedes that his issue was not raised, so it was not raised in court that he had to, he had to kill him. 
there's no re there's no way around it he went in there just to rob the place but he saw them but in order to avoid arrest he had to kill him and he thought he had killed it the younger girl but i guess the 11 year old lacy but he had left i mean even he thought she was dead so he left and later on she was able to w identify him so but he complained that that was not bring him to court so for his third point of reversal joan argues the trial counsel was ineffective for film to object to submission of aggravating circumstances that the capital murder was committed for preliminary for preliminary gain for gain for the purpose of avoiding arrest, he argues that counsel should object to the ground for, you know, so he's, for gain, he, they should have objected to that. So, finally, argument the point is sufficient and firm judgment be gone with you. And finally, Jones argues that the trial court erred on the ground that trial counsel was ineffective for failing to object to the state's introduction to expert testimony on the subject of hair analysis. The testimony in question was from Chantel Beckett, a criminologist from Arkansas State Crime Lab. Beckett testified that she had been examined one head hair, one head hair fragment, and one pubic hair taken from Mary Phillips' body and compared them to the known for Joan, which from Jones. She testified that the hairs was microscopically similar. Jones contends that her testimony was both irrelevant and incompatible. I, th I don't think it is relevant because that shows that he was there during it and he did have intercourse with him. Jones consistently concedes the counsel's failure to object to Beckett's testimony and did not produce prejudice. Let me see. Did not, you know, prejudice him during the guilt phase. Because the jury had evidence of his confession in the police, as well as the testimony of surviving victims, he contends, however, that this testimony been excluded. His testimony, his sentence could have turned out indifferent differently. The fact that, that his sentence could have been different is not the standard to prevail on a claim of ineffective assistance of counsel. The defendant must show counsel's performance was deficient and the council's deficient per defiant performance was hit. anyhow I don't know can't read today so I'm just gonna say that he, he his council did their job and there is nothing more he could did he could have done he they got the confession on audio they got everything against him there was no insufficient counsel he capital murder so all denied and so after the clemency hearing everything was said and he's still on death row after Lacey Phillips told reporters that he was an evil person he does not need to be anywhere but where he should be at on October 15th where he was executed so like I said this a long time had passed so he's on death row and all his appeals have been denied he's his counsel even though he said his counsel did not officially you know defend him they said that was bullshit they did everything that they could have done to that he decided he also said that it wasn't capital murder because he didn't fall under that category of the aggravating circumstances did not fit that which i've showed you did it was all kinds of torture and anguish mental anguish and all that fallen and that's where the aggravating circumstances comes into so everything's affirmed, everything, and there is Mr. Jack Jones on death row.
And I forgot to mention, Mr. Jack Jones at the time, on during 2017, Arkansas was running low on one of their drugs for executing people. And they wanted to rush a lot of them. They want to get this in. It was about to expire on April 17th. April of 2017, so they had like eight people they wanted to hurry up and execute. So this is, a matter of fact, this guy was one of two. There's another guy that I might cover. I don't have his name in front of me right now, but he was one of two people that got executed that day, executed. And out of the eight, four people did get executed, and this is Jack Jones. Here is his day, his day of death. So yeah, I'm going to do a timeline of what on the, the day he got executed. So inter, number one, International Affairs arrives and starts log at 2.16 p.m. Two, condemn begins last meal at 4.45 p.m. Last meal consists of three chicken breasts, potato logs, sliced cheese, beef jerky, three butterfingers, candy bars, tater sauce, tartar sauce, two cups of punch, and a chocolate shake with, shake with butterfinger crunch. Condemn finishes the meal at 5.59 p.m. And let's see what he ate. Portions consumed. He ate the potato logs with the tartar sauce, chocolate shake with butterfingers. He didn't eat much. So, could four, Condemn begins shower. There's no time. Condemn finishes shower. No time. Condemn dresses in white. Clean whites, no time. Start 6.16 p.m. All this is the time, but they don't have specific time for each one. He So he took, started at 6.16 p.m. and ended at 6.36. So he's not about 20 minutes shower. Seven, escort team arrives at 6.39. Eight, condemn removed from quiet cell at 6.44 p.m. Nine, arrival of condemned in chamber at 6.44 p.m. 10 condemned is restrained, start 646, finish at 650. 11 intravenous catheters inserted, start at 651, ends at 659. 12 escort team exits chamber at 650. 13 witnesses enter view room at 650. 14 chamber and viewing room doors locked at 703. 15 director places two telephone calls at 7 p.m. again at 7 p.m. same time just right away current severe room open at 703 the director asked the condemn for his last words at 703 and here's his asshole's last statement well i just wanted to let the james family and Lacey how sorry i am i can't believe i did something to her I try to be respectful from the time I tuck and become a better per, better person. Let me read that over again. Well, I just want to let the James's family know. James's family and Lacey. If I could read, maybe because I don't want to read, but I'll put it out there. Well, I just want to let the James family and Lacey how sorry I am. I can't believe I did something to her. I tried to respect respectful from the time I tuck and become a better person. I hope I did better. I hope over time you can learn who I really am from my family and friends. I am not a monster. There was a reason why 
those things happened that day. I am so sorry, Lacey. Try to understand I love you like a child. And all that is so bullshit. But anyhow, 18 water advisors, the officials are ready to proceed with the execution at 706. Chemicals administered at 706. Absence, uh, respira respiration, and pulse assist at 7.18 p.m. Warden summons the coroner at 7.19 p.m. Coroner enters the chamber at 7.19. Coroner pronounces death at 7.20 p.m. The director reads the essential portion of the court order at 7.20 p.m. Currents of the viewing room are closed at 7.20. Witnesses exit the viewing room at 7.20. And body departs the chamber at 7.30 and then Margaret apologized to the director and execution for chemicals were administered. So there you go. He is dead. On April 14, 2017, Jones was executed at the Cummins unit after with follow. Here is his name. I do have his name. Along with fellow rapist murderer Marcel Williams, marking the first double execution in the country in 17 years. Shortly before his execution, I forgot to mention this on purpose, actually, he gave his sister a letter that he penned way back in 2006 with instructions to open in a year after his execution date. When the time came, Joan's sister opened a letter in which, ready? Re in which he confessed to the details of the murder of Regina Harris. You remember remember Regina, the first person I started talking about and somebody else was in jail for? Well, guess what? He didn't do it. This guy did. Providing details only the killer would know, this revelation led to his body being examined. This was a year, keep in mind, this was a year after, so he was already buried. So they exhumed his body for some reason, which in the notes everywhere I've seen, they exhumed his body back. It seems like I thought they already had his DNA on file, but I guess they wanted to make sure, double tech from him directly. And his DNA tested. And in February 2019, the Broward County Attorney's Office officially announced that Jones was the real killer, not Ronald Stewart. A spokeswoman from the attorney's office, Paula McMahon, McMahon, said in a press release that they would be worked to vacate Stewart's conviction and would future investigate Jones' past in order to determine if he had killed other victims in Florida and or anywhere else in the country. So, for almost 40 years, no one doubted serial rapist Ronald Stewart murdered Regina Harris in South Florida Park. Not police, not prosecutors, not her family, or even his own family. His own family thought that he did it. That's how much, when I told the whole story, why people thought all the crime he did, everybody thought he was a piece of shit. So he pleaded guilty in Fort Lauderdale to three rapes and was evicted of other attacks in Mississippi. When accused of Harrison's 1983 slaying, he pled no contest to second-degree murder. Like I said, he was sentenced to 50 years in prison, if you don't remember. Or if you don't want to go back to read, he was sentenced to 50 years in prison where he died of cancer 2008. I might say 2007, but it was 2008. Never disputed that he killed Harrison, a 20-year-old college student. On the Broward County State Attorney's Office asked the judge to throw out Stewart's murder conviction, saying that he didn't do it. Her killer, they say, was Jack Jones, a serial Murder executed by Arkansas in 2017 for a woman's 1995 rape and slaying. 
The Broward State Attorney Office and Hollywood Police Department regret the roles our agency played on this, played in Stewart's conviction. The agency said in a statement, although Stewart is now deceased, it is appropriate that the record be corrected. They said Jones' DNA is being tested against other slayings in Florida and elsewhere. Richard Harrison, the victim's brother, said Thursday that he and their parents were stunned to her, listen to this, they were stunned to learn that the man they thought killed Regina Harris was innocent of her death. He said Stewart came up for parole in Mississippi, but he never denied or accepted guilt. Harrison, a Tampa attorney who represented the represents municipal government said he understood why prosecutors must correct the record. If this did not involve my family personally, this would be a fascinating episode of CSI, he said. But it doesn't make Stewart any less evil and, and certainly does not make him any less dead. And Jones was already been executed and we can only execute people once. I'm sorry if you hear all the paper rattle around. I mentioned before my computer broke that I read my notes on. Hopefully I'll get a new one and fix that. So Harrison said his sister, back to my notes, Harrison said his sister was a kind, deeply religious woman who was attending the Palm Beach Atlantic College, a Christian school in West Palm Beach. He says she had figured out her career but would have taken a job helping others. She was a sweet, really sweet kid, he said. 2003, DNA connected him to 1991 rape and strangulation of the Fort Lauderdale Hotel of Lorraine Barrett, a 32-year-old Pennsylvania tourist. He cooperated, plead guilty, and was sent back to Arkansas to wait execution. So there you go. He gave a letter to his sister, and I already read all that. And like, and her brother's like, she also he also said that she was a really sweet kid. So there he is. Like I said, this is kind of a crazy story where I'm, I've never seen anybody cover this case. I'm surprised because he was a serial killer that he eventually got busted in Arkansas. But imagine if the, so many things crazy happened. His first somebody spent 50 years, well, it was a sense of 50 years. He, he ended up dying in prison not too long after he was arrested. But he was a rapist, and a lot of people don't really have much pity on it. But if you think about it that way, then you're wrong. Because if they could have figured out not arresting him at the time, Barrett and Phillips' family would not have, probably not have it there. They might have, could have found Mr. Jones and arrest him and maybe but you could say maybe all day long I don't know but maybe they were they were just looking at him his record and just arrest him leaving him go so and then the falsely conviction the murder and and the letter when he died a lot of people I mean he said that he finally confessed to it later on because he was afraid that she, her body came back i mean it's all in the letter matter of fact i'm gonna read to you this letter i was wondering about it i asked my wife and she said yeah she would like to hear what this asshole stay stated and a lot of people wonder why he waited till after he said he was already getting executed why not help somebody out he did not know this man but this man fell for his murder he did so here's what he wrote to his sister he said, Angela, and I'll try to read this the best. It's been a long day. Have you not noticed? I'm kind of muffling through some of these notes. So Angela and I, here's a note that he wrote to his sister. Angela and I married 
November of 1982, and you all left for Florida early 83. We stayed with Rick and Missy till you settled in, and we then followed you down to Hollywood. It's been 23 years, so I don't recall the month, but it happened a few weeks before Angela and I left to return to Ohio. She haunted me, the little apartment we had there at the end of the block, the motel converted to apartments, that's the time frame. Maybe early summer of 83, late spring, early summer, there's Hollywood, Florida. And just beside us is Deanna. Right? Okay. You go to a restaurant there, U.S. Highway number one, U.S. Highway 1, that goes north and south, hang a left, and then hang north a few blocks to the next main road, heading east and west. East to the beach, Sheridan, I believe, Turn right and head towards the beach. East, I believe, called Sheraton Park. Little wooden place, bike path, a small pond. I met her riding bikes. We went to the beach, rode around down there, and came back up Sheridan and into the park. That's where it happened. White girl, red hair, maybe 110 pounds, 5'5", five five, I think her name might have been Catherine. It's been so long, she haunted me for three years, and we made peace. She moved on. She was really mad at first, missed her parents, but she learned things She learned things over there that helped her, and she got to understand who I was and why I'd done such a thing. She gave, forgave me. I forgave myself. I never forgave myself. I believe she would have found, I believe she was found the next day, the following evening, there was a story in the newspaper, a composite picture drawn of me. Someone remembered us riding around by the beach. Didn't look much like me. I think there's a reward that was, I believe, to be 10000 or perhaps 100000 John Mango Crisillo. You had, here's a number that this is perhaps by from John Mango Crisillo, 950 number, phone number, cell phone number. I'm trusting that you all deal with this tactfully with the respect it deserves. No circus here. You check the newspaper archives, you'll find the story, the name of the family. If you track them down on your own, great. If you cannot, then John can. For sure, I trust Mongo. He'll handle it well enough. He already knows that I have own great. If you cannot, then John can. For sure, I trust Mango. He'll handle it well enough. He already knows that I have someone who's going to handle this whole thing once I'm done, gone. But doesn't know who I am, who I've, who, let me repeat that again. But doesn't know who, I've never given him a reason to believe I wouldn't, wouldn't take care of it. So he trusted me for that. Always been straight with him which is why he respects me and we're friends. But Mango's a cop. Now I believe that if you went to him, he'll handle this with handle this very quickly, not publicly. However, th th ethically, I'm pretty sure he'll have to tell his superiors. At that point, I lose faith. faith. Anything could happen from there. I'm sure he'll do his best to keep it as a secret as quiet as possible until his end. But he's no control over the others. There are leaks in the system, and the media could get whiff and a run story in the paper of a 23-year-old cold case being solved posthumously. 
I don't know. I certainly prefer that it be done discreetly, that it doesn't come to freak out mom and dad, anyone else dad knows, or at least he knows that I'm going to give this to you to handle for me, doesn't know any details. Again, if you can't find this case on your own, reach the family. That's my preference. But I'm trusting you, and you do the right thing. You have everything here to complete the mission. However, you got to get it done. If and when I want you to let these people know I had to had you do this. That I wanted them to know it's one thing to learn that your daughter's killer was finally brought to justice one way or another. But it's more so of closure and instance that the formation came about peacefully without resistance. So the peace is added to peace rather than adding a measurement element or negativity. I consider writing something to give them and... But I believe that after all these years, the closure proceeds doesn't need to be overcomplicated. So you just let them know that I am deeply sorry that I couldn't rest easy until they knew the truth. Let them know that in and in the end, I became a better person. I did the best I could be to as much as I could be to others. Out of respect for the ones I've harmed, I know it's a hell of a thing to have to do so I thank you it's the right thing I'll be watching and do what I can do to help from over there watching and what I could do to help over there so there's a letter clearly this guy was out of his fucking mind you know and a lot of people like I said was wondering why didn't he reveal this information prior to death why did he bring it to his death why did matter of fact, a lot of people just better question why did he do this you know why so like i said there's a serial killer you know mr jones you know jack carroll jones one of the eight inmates that arkansas tried to kill because their drug was running out and how he confessed on uh, the first murder in florida after he was executed through a letter that i guess he didn't want to maybe just i don't know only i guess he will know and he's dead so Again, I'm sorry if you got all the mush-mouthing and babbling and going through. If you made it this far without shutting me off, saying, fuck this asshole, he don't know what he's, he does not know what he's doing. I appreciate it. And I appreciate it more if you go to Apple iTunes, rate and review. If you want five stars, be great. And you know what? I'll, I'll put this out there, even if it's negative. Let me know what I'm doing wrong. Let me know how I could better this. Make it a better experience, listening experience for you. Because as right now, I don't have no negative reviews. I have a couple. One, but it was deleted. And they were just being ugly. And someone else who questioned a case that I covered, when I corrected them on it, they, they haven't got back with me yet. But yeah, or you don't have to review. You can still review me five stars. But if you have any kind of help what I could do to better this you know any kind of help would be appreciated and you can always do that on my Facebook group which is Truck Stop Murder at, in True Crime Podcast which messages me directly Gary Howard on there as well and you can find me at Twitter and Instagram at Truck Stop Murder and my email accounts truckstopmurder at gmail.com with all of them you could 
contact me. And if you think that maybe some better equipment might help us out, right now I'm just got a cheap computer. And I used to, if you heard paper rattling because my last computer broke because of this bouncy ass truck, you could donate me some, donate some money at PayPal. You can support me through that. Or if you want to do a monthly, you know, I like this guy, I want to stick around for a while. For as low as a dollar, you could you hook me up at Patreon, at both being a truck stop murder and true crime podcast. So, there you go. That's the story of Harold Jones Jr., serial killer that literally nobody's talked about. And if it wasn't for the eight people getting murdered in Arkansas, I don't think anybody would ever know about him. So, there you go. Until next week, I'm going to start putting these out on Wednesdays. Till, as always, you can't fix stupid, but you can all sure numb it with a 2x4. Sergeant Awesome out. Uh-huh.